this book a while back, The High Cost of Good Intentions, and I'd forgotten how many notes I took on it. So I was bringing it back up on my phone, and it's one of those books every once in a while I come across where I'm practically highlighting everything, mm. <laughs> which is, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, yeah. at some points become at some point becomes useless. A couple of things off the top of my head. Reforming entitlements is about math, not ideology. Mm. It just has to be done. And this, I remember, really stuck, uh, struck, uh, stuck out to me. The scale of federal entitlement assistance today is unmatched in human history. Interesting. It's never been done before. John Cogan is the author of said tome, The High Cost of Good Intentions. He's also a Leonard and Shirley Eli Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution. But more than being a senior fellow, he's a hell of a nice fella, and he joins us now. Hello, John. How are you? Hello, guys. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're, we're fine. Good to be on your show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Hey, listen, one of the, the, the things we enjoyed so much about your presentation at the uh, Hoover Institution at Stanford and the book in general is that... You're talking about when we were invited to Stanford? Right. Yeah. That right. was a good time. Personally invited to, to, to lecture. Well, <laughs> sort of. But anyway, the thing I, I liked so much about the book is that it, it's not a, a partisan pitch. It's a really informative look at entitlement programs and how they tend to work. And no matter which way you swing politically or philosophically, I think this stuff is really useful. So uh, let's dive in. What has remained consistent about entitlement programs from, you know, for instance, the revolution through today? Well, uh, uh, before getting into that, I, I would say that, uh, guys, I've listened to the show since you, uh, since you were at Hoover. That was uh, about two or three weeks ago. And I've noticed a, a big improvement. Uh, you're using bigger, <laughs> bigger words, <laughs> longer compound sentences. Fantastic. Uh, I'm not sure it's added to the audience yeah. understanding. Jack uh, dabs at both corners of his mouth after he eats, too. Yeah. It's yeah. Very yeah. <laughs> In any event, um, uh, the point about entitlements is, is really that uh, both political parties for a very, very long time, over 200 years of our nation's history, have continually taken entitlements that have been uh, begun with the best of intentions uh, and continually expanded them until these original purposes of providing a safety net uh, for those that are impoverished, providing a measure of economic security for individuals in, in, in their old age, are just no longer recognizable. Pick, a, pick your favorite example that goes back far enough that people can't have like an ideological stake in it at this point. So perhaps the best example uh, might be the very, very first entitlement program in our country. And that program was a disability uh, pension program uh, for Revolutionary War soldiers who had been injured uh, in battle and the widows of those soldiers that had been killed in battle. And when the program began, it was uh, confined only to soldiers of the Continental Army uh, as I said, who were injured uh, during wartime service. And then the expansion started coming. Uh, the first expansion was to uh, extend eligibility to uh, soldiers who had volunteered for service and to members of the state militia. That seems reasonable. Yep. The next expansion was to those who were in what was called reduced circumstances. That is, they were poor, regardless of whether they were disabled during wartime service. And then the last extension, which occurred about 50 years after the war had ended, was to extend uh, the pension to all soldiers uh, who had served during the Revolutionary War, 
regardless of whether they were injured in battle or whether they had served in the Continental Army or not. And so we had created uh, a universal uh, pension uh, for Revolutionary War soldiers. And in fact, that example is the best example of how all entitlements throughout our history uh, have been expanded. The same phenomenon occurred during the Civil War uh, pension uh, program, uh, which also extended eventually uh, pensions to all um, uh, Civil War uh, Union soldiers. Uh, and it's been true in the modern era. Uh, each of the modern entitlement programs began with a very narrow purpose to serve a particularly worthy group at the time. And now they've been extended to a very, very large uh, segment of the population. And it's so easy to have that incremental growth after the original agreement to vote on it. And then you get into the book, obviously. That's if everybody's following the rules. There's all kinds of fraud that goes around all these things well, all the and, time, too. And before we get to fraud, what do you call that principle where it goes notch by notch, bigger and bigger? Oh, I call it the equally worthy claim. And the way it works is, as we've said, that uh, when, an, when an entitlement program is first created, there's a particularly worthy group, usually narrowly uh, confined, that's eligible for benefits. But then over time, those individuals that are just outside that eligible, eligibility line begin to clamor for benefits. Uh, and then Congress eventually acquiesces and extends benefits to those individuals. And they argue that these individuals so close to the line are no less worthy than those that had been uh, receiving benefits initially. Plus, you'll get their votes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is true. Uh, and then, but, but extending that eligibility uh, only does one thing. It brings another group closer to the eligibility line, and then they begin clamoring for benefits. And eventually Congress acquiesces, grants them uh, eligibility, and this process goes on and on until eventually uh, the extension of an entitlement is to anyone who could remotely be considered worthy of assistance. Yeah, I like the way you explain that because I I myself, who will really fight hard against this sort of growth of these programs in the government, could see how I would go for these various incremental adjustments where you think, well, if we're doing it for them, how do we not for a little bit more cover these people but just as you say that pulls the next group even closer to the line as you as you go down the line well and john i'm picturing an expanding circle as well sure um and if you know anything about geometry you know that the bigger the circle the bigger the area just outside of it uh, uh, you know uh, ad infinitum well that's a good point i think the circle is a much better analogy than the um uh, than, than a line is um uh, and what we find is that uh, back in the 19th century and the early part of the 20th century, the expansions always occurred when there were large amounts of surplus funds in the Treasury. And it's another natural human thing. I've got extra money to spend. What do I spend it on? Well, let's just extend eligibility to this group that really has a, 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 a what seems like a worthy claim. But before you know it, um, the surplus in the, in the Treasury is gone. Uh, you have deficits, and you've got all these people on the rolls. And once they're on the rolls, it's very, very difficult for the electoral system uh, to uh, to remove people once they've been judged to be worthy of assistance. I, Jack, have a question. I'm the one that posited the stupid line theory versus oh. the oh, there's uh, no the much much more clever circle there's theory. No need to feel sorry for being ourselves. Hailed with wonderment. <laughs> um, Expand on this, if you would. The the scale of federal entitlement assistance today is unmatched in human history. Well, 
today there are more people receiving more entitlement assistance than at any point in our history except for the height of the Great Recession about eight years ago. Uh, More than half of the U.S. population is now living in households that are receiving at least one federal entitlement program. Now, certainly, you've got to be worried about that statistic because uh, it includes senior citizens, all of whom are receiving Social Security and or Medicare. Um, But if you just take the households that are headed by a person under age 65, 40% of all of those households are now receiving uh, uh, benefits from at least one federal entitlement. That's astounding. And what has it been at various times through history? If you go, the uh, data we have uh, are not uh, very long in length going back in time, Uh, but uh, even back in the 1980s, 80s, early 1980s, which is about as far back as the data go for the whole U.S. population, then it was about 40%. Uh, and then for the underage 65 population, it was around 30%. So it's been steadily rising uh, throughout uh, the last 30 years, at least the last 30 years, and, and probably longer, but we don't have data going And back. there's no reason to think that that number isn't going to be bigger 10 years from now. Well, it's going to be enormously bigger as a consequence of the um, retirement of the baby boom generation. And that's where we want to go next is the whole entitlement thing and where that's headed just based on the math. Yeah, and what might it take to reset? John Kogan is with us. He's the author of The High Cost of Good Intentions. John, can we ask you to hang around for a few more minutes? Sure, be happy to. Excellent. Yeah, let's continue the conversation in a moment or two. Yeah, it's an interesting day to talk about it as Paul Ryan's making the circuit, talking about his retirement. He was one of the great hopes for fiscal conservatives of now we might finally deal with some of this stuff. He's headed out the door, I think at least partially because he realizes he can't. And the the argument I always make to my liberal friends is if we're more careful and more restrained in... Entitlement spending that will have that'll make available more money for people who truly need help. The high cost of good intentions. Eventually, you run out of money. You see, is the problem. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Talk about John Cogan, the author of The High Cost of Good Intentions, and just a guy who knows a lot about this sort of stuff, uh, how much money we spend, entitlement reform. He was actually the associate director in the U.S. Office of Management and Budget for a time. How we're going to run out of money at some point. A little bit more from his book, The Labyrinth of Overlapping Entitlement Programs, Each with Its Own Eligibility Rules, Allows 120 Million People, Two-Thirds of All Entitlement Recipients, to simultaneously collect benefits from at least two programs. Nearly one-third of all recipients collect benefits from three or more federal entitlement programs simultaneously. Wow. John Kogan uh, rejoins us, the author of High Cost of Good Intentions. Thanks for hanging around, John. We truly appreciate it. My pleasure. So I I thought it was interesting we have you on with Paul Ryan kind of, uh, you know, announcing his retirement and everything. He's a big, small government, fiscal hawk. 
a lot of us were hoping that or it was, was. <laughs> well, or he realized he is up against it. We are all kind of hoping that maybe we'd finally tackle this problem, um, and he might be giving into that to a certain extent. How how bad is our entitlement problem, and uh, and, and how soon are we going to run out of money? Well, uh, I think the problem is uh, is upon us now. <clears throat> Last week, or I guess it was earlier this week on Monday, the Congressional Budget Office released its uh, updated uh, economic and budget forecast, uh, and the numbers were truly disturbing. Uh, the budget deficit this year is up about 30 uh, percent over last year. Uh, and this is at a time where the economy has been growing and interest rates are at an abnormally low level. Uh, and their projections for the future are uh, even more disturbing. Uh, the deficits will reach a uh, trillion dollars uh, in three years uh, and continue growing thereafter if we don't do anything to alter uh, taxes uh, and, and spending. Uh, and when you look at uh, taxes, uh, despite all the talk about the uh, tax reform plan that the Republicans passed, that uh, it's blowing a hole in the deficit, uh, tax revenues are still going up. As I said, the deficit is going to reach a uh, trillion dollars uh, in, in three years, and tax revenues are going to be about 10 percent higher uh, than they were uh, last year before the tax plan went into effect. Well, the it's problem. Oh, go ahead, is, sir. Uh, the problem is, as it has been for the last uh, seven decades, that the growth of spending, primarily entitlement spending, uh, has been far more rapid than the growth of revenues. Which party is to blame, John? <laughs> well, I would say uh, both parties are uh, nearly equally um, to blame. You know, there's an old saying in, in Washington that uh, uh, both Democrats and Republicans uh, will increase spending. The only difference between the two is that Democrats seem to enjoy it. <laughs> so uh, so I look, both parties are at it when the Republicans are out of uh, out of uh, office. Uh, they rail against uh, entitlements and the, and the deficit. Uh, but then when they get into office, uh, surprisingly, uh, it would seem nothing gets done uh, to reverse the entitlement expansions that have usually, although not always, uh, come when the Democrats have been in office. And so I say both parties have been uh, party to this, uh, to this uh, plunder of the United States Treasury. And, John, I think the elephant in the room is uh, the fact that, well, you pointed out that in in the past it was when the treasury had a surplus that this generosity would appear and a program started then grown and grown and grown but now we're doing it in times of absolutely mind-boggling deficits and that's a fundamental change in in principles and behavior which and you can comment on that if you want but it brings me my actual question which is how the hell will this ever stop Well, you know, when you look back at, at history and you and you, you look for uh, times at which the um, uh, the government has taken action to restrain entitlements, well, they're they're few and far in between, uh, but they have occurred, and there have been significant alterations in the growth of entitlement programs at various points in our history. Um, uh, President Roosevelt, uh, before uh, he launched, if you will, his New Deal in 1935, actually reduced entitlement spending, uh, mainly on veterans. President Reagan achieved a, a significant reduction in the growth of entitlements. Jimmy Carter reformed uh, Social Security, and Bill Clinton had a major hand in reforming welfare. 
in most of these cases, uh, entitlement spending as a whole has been slowed. And that's what we need to do now. We don't have to have radical surgery to reduce entitlement spending. What we need to do is to slow the growth of entitlements. And the sooner we do that, the better off we're going to be and the easier it's going to be uh, to get the job done. Well, when I'm elected president or emperor, as I've suggested, pack your bags, John, because I'm dragging you into Washington and putting you in charge. So I hope you're ready. <laughs> how, how, how far are we away from the way, not even just the founders, but the first several generations um, uh, in this country uh, intended the government to be in terms of playing a role in our lives? Well, very far. Um, uh, we're, we're all familiar with uh, constitutional limitations on what the government, the uh, federal government should be able to do and what was reserved uh, for the states and, and uh, for the people. Uh, and uh, since the 1930s, um, that role, that limitation, if you will, uh, of the Constitution has been uh, completely done away with. And now the federal government, uh, in terms of spending, spends money on just about everything. In fact, you have to think for a moment and ask yourself, is there anything that state governments spend money on that the federal government doesn't also spend money on? It's very hard to think of, of any activity that the federal government hasn't moved into uh, uh, over the last 35 years that were formerly uh, the responsibilities of state and local government. Yeah, so, yeah, the, the part I read from your book about overlapping federal programs, boy, add that in with whatever state programs uh, people are also, uh, you know, getting getting money from various programs that overlap with the federal stuff. Well, I know on the tax day, I'm sending off a huge check to both the federal and the state government. And to sing the song we've sung so many times, if you want to pick the least responsive, least responsible, least sensible uh, body to execute your good intentions, pick the federal government. If you want no accountability, pick the federal government. Keep it local, local, local. That's yeah, our that's our uh, you know mantra. Before we let you go, you have any optimism on dealing with any of this, or do you just expect to someday uh, pass away having it having never been dealt with? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say it is hard to be optimistic in these times. Um, uh, the president uh, is uh, always throughout history the primary individual that drives entitlement restraint. Without presidential leadership to restrain entitlements. Um, you don't uh, you don't get any restraint. And with this president, we haven't seen him show any interest in restraining uh, entitlements. John, uh, I'm sorry to jump in right there. We could talk to you all day. John Kogan, uh, author of The High Cost of Good Intentions. Yeah, that was great. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, I really enjoyed okay. the conversation. Let's do it again soon. Well, thank you guys very much. Appreciate it. It's our pleasure. You know, Trump is more allowed, vowed the opposite. Not only is he not talking about it, he has vowed he's not going to touch anything. So... What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, the Republican Party's got an aggressive response to Comey's memoir coming up. Pew Research has a shocking report on public employee pensions. And night owls die young. Stories coming up minutes from now, Armstrong and Getty. I'm interested in every one of those stories coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Too much heavy stuff. We need something lighter. By the way, Wrong. Uh, several of you really liked our interview and said all of Congress needs to read his book. I would agree. Both parties. Oh, absolutely. 
Um, one other text. We get this comment regularly about some advertiser or not. We do not have anything to do with the advertisements playing on whatever station you're listening to. We do not endorse personally every product or opinion of something that runs while Certainly we're not. on the air while we're going pee, which is what we're generally doing. Oh, my. Um, now, if you're done talking about body functions, I would like to share with the good folks a quote from James Madison, the father of the Constitution. <clears throat> I cannot undertake to lay my finger on that article of the Constitution, which granted a right to Congress of expending on objects of benevolence the money of their constituents. We're not going to get rid of federal entitlement programs. It's just we're in love with them as a country. But the idea that they should always grow and you should never ask, do we have the money? What's it going to cost? Well, you're a so- you have no brain. I don't know what you have inside your skull, but it's not a brain. Well, it sounds Let to me grown-ups like, govern. It sounds to me like that's that's pretty hardcore. That's a, <clears throat> yeah, it's too bad that guy doesn't have anything. What business is you know, as of yours to tell me I have to give him money? It's not for the federal government to do. You can do it. Maybe you should do it. Maybe you want to give everything you have to that poor unfortunate soul. Maybe only an evil person would not give that money to give money to that person. But the federal government is not meant to be the instrument of your good intentions. But seriously, who's that for? That ship sailed a long time ago. I mean, come on. But it gives you an idea where we started. Yeah. And how far we've come into Crazyville. By the way, the most important thing going on, or the most interesting thing going on, I don't know about important, is the Pompeo confirmation hearing right now. I was listening to a little of that. He's getting quite the grilling, of course. He can handle it. Smart guy. As the soon-to-be Secretary of State. Let's get the news now with Marshall Phillips. Well, President Trump's nomination of Mike Pompeo, as you were saying, as Secretary of State, is being considered by senators. The hearing resuming after protesters interrupted the session. All right. Um, now, what, do, what do you think, Sean? It's like a C plus chance. Yeah, I know. Best. That's, really, not, yeah. that's generous. You yeah, did the yeah. hard. You did the hard part. You freaking got in there. Have a better chance. Right. Right. Pom- Sad. Pompeo's been running the CIA for more than a year. Uh, then Trump had nominated him after firing the Secretary of State Rex Tillerson last month. I mean, if you want, if you went with Pompeo. Pompeo! Daylight, come and we want no more war. You'd be run a million times oh, on yeah. the news. A million oh, yeah. times. Yeah, I'd make the late night shows. Yeah. Good one. Very nice. Thank you. And I he wish there was money in that. He just I came wish up there with that. money in writing yeah. chance. I'd be good at it. You yeah. came up with that in like 15 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Wow. The Republican National Committee <laughs> is making it known it plans an aggressive response to I'm the sorry, act- you can't be too expositional in your chant. You get what? <laughs> we don't like this policy. It's not what we are rooting for. Like it's. <laughs> You got you to get more creative with it. I'm sorry, Marshall. Go ahead. The Republican National Committee is planning an aggressive response to the upcoming memoir by fired FBI Director oh, James God. Comey. Oh, you, boy. Th- 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 this next week, Pompey's going to do 50 interviews in two weeks. Uh, we'll get him after he's been on every Comey? other show. You Comey? Mean Comey, Comey, yeah. Comey will be, uh, do 50 interviews. We'll get him after he's been on every show that exists. Um, anyway... We'll uh, probably get a, a, an assistant of his saying, yeah, yeah, this is James Comey. What's your first question? <laughs> anyway, Trump's going to respond to half of them yeah. as they're aired. Oh, He's going to tweet his response. as oh, Comey, boy. And it's just going to go back and forth. Oh, oh boy. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. The RNC planning to use a website, digital ads, and television surrogates to discredit Comey. 
Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel says in a statement that Comey is a liar and a leaker and his misconduct led both Republicans and Democrats to call for his firing. Comey's memoir, A Higher Loyalty, Truth, Lies, and Leadership, will be out next week. Again, most self-serving title in the history of publishing. Yeah, I don't know. And I I don't think he's a bad person. A lot of y'all think he's part of some grand conspiracy. I just think he's misguided in some ways. I think he's a little pompous. He's not a little pompous. He's very pompous. He probably tried too hard to, to, to be the puppet master of the whole damn thing and got himself into trouble. New study is finding that state-run pension plans for public workers across the country were in worse shape than ever in 2016. That's a shock. The just-released Pew Charitable Trust report says the unfunded liability hit a record $1.4 trillion. Boy, Pew is not exactly, you know, a club for growth or anything. Well, I remember when it hit a trillion, and I think Michael Lewis uh, was going around. He either wrote a book about it or was just making the rounds talking about the trillion-dollar pension bomb that is going to hit this country at some point. Michael Lewis, is that the Moneyball guy? Yeah. 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 Um, It lives in the Berkeley area, but won't come on the show for some reason. Come on, Michael! um, uh, That bomb is going to hit the United States sometime hard, and everybody's going to say, What? Huh? I don't get it. How do we get to this point? (sighs) And as states, as Joe and Jack have pointed out many times, as states put more toward pensions, it's going to make it harder for them to fund other government priorities, like education, public safety, parks. There are already places where you pay more for retired firefighters than you do for current firefighters, and it will continue down that trajectory. Well, we got an email from uh, uh, a human. I can't remember if it was a guy or a gal. uh, Talking about their mom was an assistant superintendent for a school district, and she is getting a six-figure pension, as is the person who succeeded her, as is the person who preceded her, while the person in the gig is making six figures. That is sustainable nowhere. Right. New study says people who stay up late are more likely than morning people to suffer a variety of health problems and die sooner. Researchers at Northwestern University tracked nearly half a million adults, including morning people and night owls, over more than six years. Those who routinely stayed up late were 10% more likely to die sooner than the folks who went to bed early. The night owls also were more likely to have diabetes, mental problems, and trouble breathing. Now, researchers think the problems develop because of conflicts with a person's biologic clock. When people want to be up late, but they have to be up early for work, the time they're doing things like waking up or eating is not at the correct time for them personally, causing tension between their biologic clock and yeah, real-time all, all behavior. That biological clock may be true, but I guarantee you that people who stay up late tend to eat more and drink more, for instance. More likely to be, be attacked by a werewolf as well. <laughs> um, well, I will tell you this as a guy who sometimes stays up late at nights yeah. and then... Five days a week, it gets up very early in the morning. Nobody gets up early in the morning to get drunk, you know, or to eat food they shouldn't be doing. It. Right. It's the up late crowd, so right. that's got to be part of it. I buy the biological clock thing, yeah. too, but there's there more to it. There you go. That's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips. The Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Yeah, there are people that get up early to exercise. There's nobody that stays We're up extra late to exercise. Stay up extra eight to eat worse food. Drink a little, maybe. Yeah. Stop banana. Just unwind.
Come. Unwind after a long day. Right. Huh? What's a, the, what's life for? Huh? A little pleasure, oh, a little joy, a little me time. That's right. I'll go to bed soon. <laughs> oh boy. Every night. It, it seems like every night I think, wow, I'm going to really get to bed early tonight. <laughs> and then a series of events unfolds. God just shakes his hand, head and rolls his eyes. Yeah, you are. <laughs> you idiot. God calls me an idiot. My God does. <laughs> He's a vengeful God. You're listening to the Armstrong night and Getty night? Show. Night after night. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. But what did you do? What did you say? Or did you walk or did you run away? Where are you now? Where have you been? Did you go alone or did you bring a friend? I need to know. So we got a late night joke off for you, which is always fun. Also coming up, Utah Alcohol Commission allows axe throwing venue to serve beer. Say that again. Utah Alcohol Commission allows axe-throwing venue oh, to serve axe. beer. I was thinking A-C-T-S. I got confused. Axe. A-X. Oh, like uh, Acts of the Apostles or a play in three acts? Or a musical act. Oh. Yeah. Well, I was thinking bar and axe. Interesting. Okay. Better axe. in print. Axe-throwing. Shall I say hatchet instead? Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. That uh, sounds festive. Mm-hmm. Tell you what, buyer beware. Booze and, and hatchet tossing. You want to keep all your limbs? Maybe you don't go. It's up to you. Who am I to tell you what to do? So stay tuned for that, won't you? But right now, a, a late night a late night joke off? What's our topic? Uh, tonight we have three of the late night hosts going after the Paul Ryan resigning topic of the day. As usual, I will uh, grade them, and the uh, bottom graded comedian will be banned from comedy for life. Today, House Speaker Paul Ryan announced that he is retiring from Congress. He said he wants to spend more time with his children at home and less time with the child in the White House. No one with this kind of power just walks away. That's just not done. The man is third in line for the presidency. Though, maybe he's leaving because he just figured that out. Wait, the FBI just raided Michael Cohen's office? Not it! Not it! Paul Ryan announced today he will not seek re-election to spend more time with his family, so now his family are the ones asking for thoughts and prayers. Hmm. Wow. When a man is tired of London, he is tired of life, Samuel Johnson once said. I, I am apparently tired of life. I am tired of the late night jokes. I got nothing out of any of those. <laughs> wow. Interesting. Wow. I may be tired of life. I might be I may now be incapable of joy. Wow. That's something. <laughs> The old IOJ. <laughs> you hate to be IOJ. Incapable of joy. Fallon with a C. It's solid. It's fine. I gave Colbert an A minus. I thought the idea of, you know, thinking, God, I don't want to be president. I thought that was somewhat endearing. Well, you're not incapable of joy. Seth, on the other <laughs> hand, a crappy, crappy D. There is no humor there except apparently for contempt for Paul Ryan, who is not held in contempt by anybody. It was just partisan hatred. Man, when, when Ryan said, um, my daughter's 16, and I realize if I uh, serve another term, she will have spent her entire life with a weekend dad, I thought, wow, you've done That's this. That's heartbreaking. I, I can't. I wouldn't do that. I yeah. mean, you know, service to your country, a lot of them go off and get rich doing it, but whatever, you know, however you justify doing that, no freaking way. 
I no think, way I'm living my life that way where my kids see me only on the weekend their entire lives. And listening to the talking heads over the last 24 hours or so, most of them are incapable of conceiving of a guy giving up his status and power to serve his family. It's clear from what they say and the way they approach it. They're just, they're, they cannot comprehend it. Yeah, I know. That, Paul that, Ryan's talking about why not move to D.C. He's got like five to eight, I can't remember the number he said, of Ryan households within two blocks of his house. His family's there. Hmm. His whole family. In uh, Janesville, Wisconsin. Um, yeah, well, that's another thing that a lot of the uh, Beltway crowd can't imagine is uh, how different life would be in Janesville, Wisconsin than Washington, D.C. And why you might like that better. They they can't conceive of that. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, screw um, them. Good for you, Paul. I uh, wish you well. On this. Yeah, it's funny. It Come makes, on the show again. We it makes talk my to heart hurt to think that his, kid, his kids have not seen them any more than that their entire lives. Yeah. But weekend dad. My view of the world. Um, so Zuckerberg repeatedly said that Facebook has a tool for downloading your data and you can get your information back if you want to. Um, this columnist for the New York Times, I don't know their name, doesn't matter, said that's an overstatement. Both say, most basic information uh, cannot be deleted at all. More important, pieces of data that I find objectionable, says this um, journalist, uh, cannot be removed from Facebook either. He went through the process of, and it was long and complicated, but you can do it. To There's get a to, shock. To get to see how they try to make you give up. Uh, to try to get to see what all the data is, and then only some of it can you get rid of anyway. I did give up on deleting my Google stuff. I may go back to it, but I saw what it would take, and I thought, I don't have the time. Facebook doesn't actually delete anything, and that's their general policy, said Gabriel Weinberg, who's the founder of DuckDuckGo, which we've mentioned on the show several times, which offers internet privacy tools. So no startpage.com. Or maybe it is, I don't know. Uh, the Facebook spokesman said, when you delete something, we remove it so it's not visible or accessible on Facebook. You can also delete your account whenever you want. It may take up to 90 days to delete all the backups of data on our servers. And we might not get around to it at all. And we might not ever do it, and there's no way for you to know. So bow down and obey. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mentioned this earlier. One surprising part of my file, this person says, was all my contact info. Contains 764 names from my phone contact list was was on the Facebook profile of me. I never downloaded it on purpose. They just were all there. But and then if they you'd got, read the 1,200 pages of the user agreement, you'd know that, and clicked on the 50 different links that will take you to thousands of more pages, you'd have known that. What Facebook retained about me isn't remotely as creepy as the sheer number of advertisers that have all this information in their databases now. I found this out when I clicked on the ads section in my Facebook profile, which loaded the history of the dozen ads I'd clicked on while browsing the social network. This person says in all the years they've maybe clicked on a dozen ads. I've never clicked on an ad and all. But lower down, there was a, uh, a section called Advertisers with Your Contact Info, and there was a list of about 500 brand, brands, the overwhelming majority of which I had never interacted with, many of them I'd never even heard of, which had all of this information that Facebook had taken in their profile of me. Brands like Microphone Check and others, which I have no idea what they do, um, had all this information. So Facebook got into your contact information, without you knowing it or thinking about it, gave it to all these advertisers, in this person's case, 500-some that they had never clicked on and never even heard of. Somehow they sold it to them, gave it to them. We don't exactly know what's going on there. If a Tom Steyer 
uh, internet billionaire, uh, liberal type dude, were to go to uh, somebody high up in Facebook and say, hey, uh, I'm going to run against uh, Mr. X or... Um, Mr. X is running for office. He's a troglodyte conservative. Uh, You got anything on him? You think maybe that finds its way out in a manila folder, a thumb drive, or something like that? I mean, I hope that everybody at Facebook is such a, a, you know, rock-ribbed ethical person that they would never do that, but I doubt it. There's there's huge oppo research to be had there. And Google, of course. I was going over to this list again of questions that Zuckerberg said he didn't have the answer to or didn't know or get you back to him or whatever. One of them was, can Facebook track browsing activity after a user logs off? He said, it'd probably be better to have my team follow up afterwards. You're going to tell me Mark Zuckerberg doesn't know whether Facebook tracks your browsing activity after you log off? Bullshizzle. I mean, there's just no chance of that. Yeah, it worked out pretty good for him because there was very little follow-up. Nobody said, I find it hard to believe that you don't know whether or not Facebook tracks people after they log off. And I'm telling you, Senator Joe would have said, we'll all sit here till you figure it out. Text somebody right now. Come on, go ahead. Who are you texting? <laughs> We're going to sit here till you answer that question. That would have been awesome when you lean back in your seat and tap your pencil on the desk. <laughs> yeah, I got time. <laughs> Yeah, well, it worked out for him. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.